You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, good morning, 10 o'clock, and happy Father's Day. Dads, you are loved and you are needed. We're in a series called Week Made Strong, and we're walking through the book of 2 Corinthians together this summer. Let me start off by making this statement. You can write this in your notes for you note takers. If you want to, you can write this in the back of your Bible. I think it's that, that key of a thought, especially for 2 Corinthians. A secure promise for the Christian is that the Lord is our strength in our weakness and in unsteady times. A secure promise that we have for the Christian is that the Lord is our strength and he is our strength in our weakness and he is our strength in our unsteady times. When I use the word secure, I mean that that promise is fixed. It is set. It is unamendable. It is immovable. It is a a covenant commitment from the Lord, that kind of promise for the Christian. I know that in, in, in the year 2023, the word inclusive has a high value attached to it, but I want you to see this is not an inclusive promise. This is a promise only for those in Christ Jesus. That promise is, Christian, the Lord is our strength. For those who are in Christ, he is our strength, and he is our strength in our weakness and in our unsteady times. If we could just take off the church mask for just a little bit and admit we're weak. I mean, we're weak people. I know we strive. I know we have ambition. I know we have goals. We are weak people. And we all live in an unsteady times. In fact, it feels like unsteady times comes about every 24 hours or so. We need the strength of the Lord in our lives. We need the strength of the Lord in our weakness. We need the strength of the Lord in these unsteady times. When we are weak, Christ is strong in us. And he is also strong for us. So in our weakness, in our days of weakness, our times of weakness, Christ is strong in us. This is the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit within us. But I also want to remind you that in our weakness, Christ is strong for us. In other words, he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father, praying for you, interceding for you right now. And so in your weakness, in your unsteady times, Christ is in you and Christ is for you. And Christian, we see this in our salvation, first of all, that we could not save ourselves. But Jesus, he is mighty to save. Uh, We see this in the steadiness of our salvation. We cannot hold and keep our own salvation. It is Jesus who holds us fast. It is Jesus who is strong enough to hold our salvation. It is true also, brothers and sisters, just in our daily lives. We feel so weak when all the things of life just come flying at us. But Christ, he is strong enough for all the details of life and all the dailiness of life because we are strong in his strength and we are strong in his promises. So we come this morning already to a very interesting passage here in 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter one and I would even call it a difficult passage perhaps. So let me give you some context so that we all kind of know what's going on in this passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter one. For my fellow map and history nerds, you're gonna love this. If you're too cool for maps, the people with the higher IQs will wake you up in just a second when they're done, just like we did when we were in high school. So here's a map of the New Testament times in the days of of Jesus and the days of, of Paul. 
Let me kind of help understand, help us understand together what's happening here in 2 Corinthians chapter one. Paul visits Corinth in the year 52 AD. It's on his second missionary journey. And I circled Corinth on the map there for you. He stays there for about 18 months, about a year and a half or so. And he establishes the Corinthian church, the church there in Corinth. He then returns, you see the next map, he returns to Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, he writes them a letter. However, we don't have that letter. That letter has been lost with time, and so most theologians call that 2 Corinthians A. Like it's, it's, it's a, a letter that we have, we have no idea where it is, but Paul writes them a letter from Jerusalem. Then from Jerusalem, Paul sets sail for Ephesus there on the coast of, of Turkey, and he hears while he's in Ephesus that things aren't going so great back in Corinth. He hears from Chloe's people. Uh, he, he says he hears from uh, Stephanus. He hears from uh, Achaicus. And so what Paul does, he dispatches Timothy to go over there to, to Corinth. And then Paul writes a letter there from Ephesus to deal with the problems that are happening there in Corinth. We do have that letter, and that's in your Bible as 1 Corinthians it is in this letter that Paul begins to point out some of the things in the church, and he calls them to repent. He tells them there's some things that they need to correct. There's some sinful things that need to be corrected there in the Corinthian church, including disunity, um, sexual sin. Some people are taking pride in their spiritual giftedness. The rich people, the wealthy people, were acting as if they were better than the poor people. Uh, basically, the Corinthians, the Christian Corinthians, forgot to, to, to live like Christians. And they were living like their old lives before they were introduced to Jesus. And probably because Paul pointed out their pride and pointed out their self-sufficiency and pointed out their, their arrogance and pointed out some sin, all of a sudden, Paul was no longer that beloved in Corinth. He was no longer that popular with the Corinthian church. So let's jump back on the map there. So, so Paul then makes a quick visit to Corinth. That's just about a 330-mile trip or so across the Aegean Sea there from, from Ephesus into, into Corinth. And he calls that visit the painful visit. Paul then returns back to Ephesus, and he writes what he calls the tearful letter. This will be his third letter, and this letter also has been lost to time. We don't know where this, where this letter is. And, and in that letter, he expresses his love. We do know this. He expresses his love, but he also requires the church to repent. Next thing, Paul travels to Macedonia. That's in the northern part of, of Greece. So he goes up to Macedonia. He's up there in like Berea and Thessaloniki. And while he's there in Macedonia, he hears actually a good report of things that are happening down in the church of, of Corinth. He hears a good report about them. Everything is going well except for one thing. There are some false teachers he calls them super apostles later on, that were leading a, a revolt against Paul and were beginning to spread the, this false gospel, these false teachings. And so from Macedonia, that is where Paul writes this fourth letter that we do have. In fact, it should be open in front of you right now. This is the letter of 2 Corinthians that Paul writes there from Macedonia as he speaks to uh, the, the, the Corinthian church. And then Paul from Macedonia goes and he visits Corinth. Um, this is his last visit. This happened in 57 AD. So that whole map up there is about a five-year window from 52 to 57 AD. Uh, Paul stays there in Corinth for just three months. And then the Jews begin to plot against his life. And so he leaves and he never comes back again. Man, it's hard to be a minister. He has to leave because they're plotting to, to kill him. 
And that's the third and last visit that Paul makes to the church of Corinth. So hopefully that gives a little more context. One of the difficult things about this passage we're gonna be reading together today is that we're reading between the lines periodically. Because as aforementioned, there's two letters that we don't have. There's two letters that we do have. So there's times that Paul is talking about something that we have no reference point of whatsoever. And so it's almost like listening to one side of a telephone conversation. You have to kind of fill in the blanks every now and then of what Paul is talking about, what he is responding to. Even though it's a difficult uh, passage, you are a very, very bright congregation. And we have the Holy Spirit as our teacher today. So we will, we will rely on that. So after that short painful visit before he writes this letter, 2 Corinthians, that we have. These false teachers, these ungodly teachers are now rising up in the church there in in Corinth, and they're leading people away from the gospel doctrine, truth, and gospel culture, which is how believers are to behave. And that painful visit, the reason it was painful, Paul calls it painful, is because it was corrective, He went into Corinth and some of the people in the church started to push back on Paul because who likes to be corrected? Basically, there's three things, this will help understand this passage, three things that the ungodly leaders, the false teachers were beginning to say about about Paul. Here's what they came up with, these three things. First of all, Paul, you have so many troubles in your life and that's true, right? When you look at his life, um, shipwrecked, beaten, plotted against, bitten by a snake, imprisoned. The false teacher said, Paul, you have so many troubles in your life, you must have a secret sin. You must have a hidden sin that we don't know about, and God is just punishing you time and time again. So these false teachers, first of all, are going to say, you must have a hidden secret sin, therefore you're always going through times of suffering. The second thing they're going to say is, Paul, you're untrustworthy. We can't trust you. You told us something and it did not happen. And we're gonna unpack that here in just a little bit. And the third thing they're gonna say about Paul is, Paul, you're the false teacher. You're telling a false gospel based on grace. We think the gospel needs to be based on the law. You're saying it's based on grace. And so the third argument, they push against Paul saying, you are a false teacher espousing a false gospel. So if you keep those three things in mind, this passage will make so much more sense. Let's pick it up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll begin where we dropped off last week, which is verse 12. Paul writes, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And we acted supremely, supremely so in sincerity, towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, or what you read and understand, and I hope that you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So what's happening in this passage is that Paul is pushing back on that first argument that there must be something hidden about him, a sin that's deep within. And so he says here in this passage that he has a clear conscience, that what he has said has been very simple, He has said it, uh, verse 12, with simplicity, and he's writing in such a way, verse 13, that they can fully understand what he is saying as he is filled with, verse 12, godly sincerity. He says, my conscience is very clear before you and before the Lord. By the way, this is a very important thing to Paul. He talks about his conscience 23 times in his letters. 
It is important to him and for him to have a pure heart before the Lord and a pure heart before God's people. So he says, I hope to fully explain this to you because last time, verse 14, you just partially understood what I said to you in my previous letter. So basically, Paul is saying in this passage, my life matches my message. So Highland, let's apply this to to our lives today. I got four things for you. Here's the first thing. We must live lives of sincerity because that's the right response to God a right response to the grace of God. Highland, we we must learn from this passage that you and I, as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, that we also are to live lives of of sincerity, not lives of image management, where we want people just to see a certain thing in, in our lives, but we want to live a life that shows how God's grace has been sustaining in our weakness. This is what Paul is saying right here. In fact, this entire this entire book, like, yes, I'm weak. But God's grace has caused me to be sincere. I'm not trying to manage my image at all. I want you to see that God's grace has been so sustaining for me in my weakness. It's the same with us in 2023, Highland. We must live these sincere lives. These lives that are not fake. These lives that aren't wrapped up in our image. And he says here that in verse 12, this godly sincerity comes from not wisdom, not human wisdom, but it comes from the grace of of God, sincerity is listed right here in, in verse 12 as a fascinating word. The word sincerity comes from the Latin word sine sera. Um, sine in Latin means without. Sarah means wax, without wax. Back in, in ancient times, the potters would, would make their pottery, and often if that pottery began to crack in the kiln, that they would take the pottery out and instead of patching it or throwing it away and starting all over again, they would take wax and wax a veneer on the outside of that pottery. And they would sell it as if it was pottery without defect. But of course, you know, if you take that pottery and you put it on fire, what does that wax begin to do? That wax begins to melt. And as that wax began to melt, you could see that it was a defective piece of pottery. It was a pottery that was filled with cracks. It was not a sincere without wax. And so what potters would do, they would take a seal on the bottom of that pottery and they would stamp on that seal, sine sire. There is no wax in this product whatsoever. This, this, this is not wrapped around, it's not fake, it doesn't have a, a smooth veneer on the outside just to find out when the fire begins to happen that there's something defective about it. No, this is pottery that is sincere, without wax. In the same way, Paul is saying, there's not, there's not a veneer around me. I'm not trying to manage my image. I'm not trying to pull one over on you. I'm not trying to to be fake here at all. I am being sincere. And this really should be, Christian, the lives of believers in Waco, Texas today. Nothing hidden. We're not trying to be somebody that, that we are not. We're aiming to be like Christ sincerely. We're desiring to share the gospel with others sincerely. We're desiring to love others in Christ sincerely. We are sharing the good news sincerely. We're not fake. We're not trying to manage our image. We're not living a, a, a life of, that's lacking integrity, but a life of integrity, a life of, of realness. Every believer of Christ should try to live not with a fake veneer, but with sincerity. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 15. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? 
do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. So this is Paul pushing back on that second argument that he is untrustworthy. He is pushing back on them and saying, and this is almost humorous to me, do you know why they thought he was untrustworthy? Because they understood he was gonna come and visit them and he did not. And so now they're calling him a liar. I want you to see exactly what Paul said on this potential for him to visit. So you're in 2 Corinthians chapter one. Go back probably one page. It may even be on the same page to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is not on the screen, but I guarantee you it is in your Bible. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and jump back to verse, verse five with me. This is why they believed Paul to be untrustworthy. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at verse five. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I, huge word, intend to pass through Macedonia, and, another big word, perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you just in passing, huge phrase here, I hope to spend some time with you, biggest phrase right here, if the Lord permits but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. There's a whole other sermon right there, right? Anytime you see God at work, there's always gonna be a lot of adversaries. So Paul says, I, I hope to, I intend to, I would love to, but as the Lord permits, well, he did not show up and now they're saying, you're completely untrustworthy. We can't trust you at, at all in, in, in what you are saying. So in this passage right here, he was saying to them, no, don't be upset with, with me. I want to see you. Have you noticed this about human nature? We rarely believe the best in one another. And for you leaders out there and future leaders out there, it's even worse for you. We rarely in human nature believe the best for one another, even look for the best in each other. So Paul is saying here, I know that you were expecting me, but I did not break my word to you. I was listening to the Lord. Just as God does not give unclear promises, I didn't give you an unclear promise. I wanted to see you, but then God changed my plans. He is saying here, I'm trustworthy. I didn't say yes and then tell you no, and then tell you no again and then tell you yes. God oversaw my plans. I wanted to come see you. See what it says in verse 15? Even first. Like of all the churches, I wanted to see you first. I wanted you, verse 15, to experience this grace again of us being together. He even says, I wanted to, verse 16, visit you twice. And one time even to commission me, Paul says, and to pray over me before I go to Judea. Look at verse 16 one more time. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia. I wanted to come back to you again from Macedonia and let you pray over me and commission me to go be a missionary in, in Judea. So let's apply this to our lives. Second point today, a distinguishing mark of a believer should be trustworthiness. What a juxtaposition to our society today where people say things all the time and they have no intention of following through. Uh, what a side-by-side -side comparison for believers to be trustworthy in a, in a culture where we almost expect people to lie to us or to not tell the full truth. Our, our words need to match, Christian. Our words need to match our lives, and our lives need to match our words. And Paul makes this great argument here. It's a, it's a rabbinical argument, and he's gonna argue from the greater to, to the lesser. 
He's gonna start off with the greater by saying God makes promises and his promises are always yes. God always comes through on his promise. Then he comes back and puts it on himself and he says, and as one of God's people, I also, when I give my word, my word should be yes or it should be no, just as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And so Paul is saying here, I I am trustworthy and certainly a distinguishing mark of a believer should be trustworthiness. This is a good reminder, Highland, that Waco is watching you and listening to you. And our word should be our bond. As Ecclesiastes says, it's better not to make a vow at all than to make a vow and then break it. Second Corinthians chapter one, look at verse 20 through 22. For all the promises of God, they find their yes in him, in him being in Christ. That is why it is through Christ that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This is why every now and then when some of y'all feel very free, you say amen in church. You're not very free most of the time, but you're welcome to be free whenever you want to. I miss my Pentecostal preacher down here at the 1120 who amens me all the time. So anytime you hear someone say amen or you feel it rising up within you and you're thinking, should I say this? Should I not say this? Say it. Thank you, because amen just means yes. Like I am, I am with you and I, I agree with this. By the way, I've asked the Lord many times, when you send me to heaven, will you put me next door to a Pentecostal? I wanna hear someone amening me all the time. Southern Baptists, they just get so quiet. Not on the football field, not anywhere else, but in church, just so, so quiet. So you can say amen if you want to. Amen. Yeah, we got a long ways to go still. The promises of God find their yes in him. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul, ever the gospel proclaimer, turns this personal attack from other Christians into an opportunity to boast in the Lord which, by the way, is a great way to handle friendly fire. It's a great way to handle all the social media hubris that we see today. It's a great way to handle all of the the tensions that we feel in our culture, and there's definitely tensions in our culture. Just keep pointing people to Jesus. Just keep pointing people to the cross. Just keep pointing people to the character of God. That's what Paul did in verse 17. He said, you think I was giving you a yes and a no and a maybe because of my change in travel plans? You know, verse 20, Who always says yes to his promises? God in Christ Jesus. And then he says the Holy Spirit is, verse 22, our guarantee. This is a great word. In Greek, the the word guarantee is erebone. And the word erebone is still used in secular Greek or in, in modern Greek today. So if you were to fly over to Athens today and use that word erebone, Everybody in Greece would know exactly what you're talking about. You know what that word means? In, in ancient Greek, as well as in modern Greek, as well as in secular Greek, it means an engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. Just think about that. It's a promise of greater things to come. It's a promise of belonging. It's a promise of, of commitment. The Holy Spirit, if you will, is the down payment, the guarantee that everything God has said is yes, and he will come through for us. So let's apply that to to our lives. Point number three this morning. We're strong, Christian. We're strong because God establishes us in Christ and puts the spirit in us. Puts that spirit in us as as a down payment, as as a commitment. 
So we're strong because God establishes us. This is what Paul says. We're established in Christ, and now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so we can put this passage on top of your life, Christian, uh, on this very day in the year 2023 by understanding this. We're strong, but only because God has established us, has secured us, has fixed us in Christ, and has given us the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's some great Trinitarian doctrine right here that speaks to the eternal security of the believer. Christian, we are weak, but we're established in the eternally strong King. Jesus is his name. And then God gives us, if you will, a commitment ring that can't be broken. The Holy Spirit that reminds us that we belong to Jesus and greater things are yet to come. And this is good news, Christian. You are secure. You are eternally secure. You are strong even in your weakness because you're held by the Godhead. Father, do you see it here? Son, right here, Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 23. We're gonna read all the way to the beginning few verses of chapter two. We'll be done. But I call God to witness against me. This is Paul standing up saying, God can be my witness. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. We mentioned that earlier. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? As I wrote, and, and I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure, all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction, I wrote to you out of much anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. The Apostle Paul gets a bad rap because he's very frank, he's very bold, he's very brash. That wasn't just 2,000 years ago. Go back and look at Twitter this past week. Paul is still getting a bad rap. And people say, well, we don't need to listen to Paul we need to listen to, to Jesus. Let me just remind all of us that all scripture is breathed out by God. You, you don't elevate one word of scripture over another word of, of scripture. Paul is being carried along by the Holy Spirit to, to write these words. And he is saying right here, even though Paul often is seen as, as brash, as maybe even arrogant at times, don't miss this. He says here in verse four, he expresses his abundant love for the church of Corinth. He says in verse four, I'm writing to you and I have tears as I'm writing this letter to you. He says in verse four, my heart is in anguish as I write these words to you because you are my beloved people. That's a pastor. That's a small s shepherd who loves the sheep. So let's apply this to our lives. Point number four, a life built on Christ should love easily and love freely. Paul loved others well because he knew how well he was loved by Jesus. And let me just say, that's not, not only should be the heart of, of a pastor or a future pastor in this room, this should be the heart of every single follower of Jesus. They love the church. They love the unity. They love each other. They love the city. They love the lost. They love those who voted differently than they did. They love those who have a different skin tone than they have. 
Christians, we, our life is built upon Christ and his love. Therefore, we should love easily. We should love freely. We should be devoted to one another. We should be devoted to loving others, devoted to loving the city, devoted to loving the lost. It is easy to love when we see how much we are loved by God in Christ. So overall, here's the message I think that Paul is saying in these past 17 or 18 verses. And honestly, I probably could have preached this message in 30 seconds. Sorry about that, but here it goes. Here's really what this entire passage is about. Here's what we see in Paul's trusted life and in Paul's trusted ministry. It's this, your life will be lived for the Lord or a hundred lords. Paul came to a place in his life he wasn't going to listen to the hundred voices or the hundred opinions or the hundred philosophies. He made his commitment, Jesus, Lord of my life, I'm going to listen to you and you alone. You alone are my Lord. And sister and brother, we need to make that commitment every day. Who am I going to follow today? Who will I be shaped by today? Who will inform my heart and my spirit today. Your life will be lived for the Lord or a hundred lords. You'll either live for Jesus or you'll live for a hundred other things. Pride, comparison, materialism, lust, or the Lord Jesus. We will either live our lives for the Lord of heaven and earth or we will live our lives for a hundred other small L lords. Anger, Pornography, bitterness, gossip, or the Lord Jesus Christ. We will either live our lives for the Lord himself or a hundred other lesser gods. Addiction, unfaithfulness, abuse of alcohol, abuse of others, abuse of pills, worry, or we will live for the Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? I would like to give all of us an opportunity this morning to maybe for the one millionth time in your life to declare that Jesus Christ is your Lord and not these 100 lesser gods. I want to give you an opportunity to come here to the front. Maybe your simple prayer to kneel before the Lord would be, Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, you are my Lord. And I have bowed down to others. And I've given myself to others. I've spent money on other lords, small l. I've spent my energy, my time, my schedule, my devotion. But I want to come to a place in my life today, this very moment, that Jesus, you are the Lord. And I will not be devoted to the hundreds of other lords, lesser gods that are out there. Maybe you would want to come and pray with a prayer leader here at the front of our staff members, a spouse here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you want to confess. Here are some things I'm struggling with. Here are some other lords I'm bowing down to. And let us pray a prayer of freedom and, and joy and obedience over you. Maybe you just want to use the lyrics of this song to confess once more that Christ is your Lord and the cornerstone of your faith. We don't want you just to sprint out of here having heard this word and not allow God to do something, some business, some rearranging 
in your heart, in your life, in your priorities. Take full advantage of coming and kneeling before him, the Lord of heaven and earth. Oh, may he be our Lord every day. Let's sing. And won't you please come?